All right, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the uh, campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an offsite campus. Wherever you may be, we are thankful and excited that you made the decision to be here with us this week. And you realize that you did make a decision. There's a lot of other places that you could be, things that you could be doing, but you decided to be here in the house of God, to hear the word of God, to experience the power and presence of God. And because that of that decision, man, we are anticipating God doing something special. The Bible says if you seek him, he will be found by you. And so you being here today isn't out of habit. It's not just something that you do. Man, it's a decision to encounter God. So as we get started today, I wanna ask that you join me in prayer in that spirit, that we would come before God, taking a step of faith, that he would meet us here today. God, we thank you so much for this time together. We're thankful, uh, God, just for the, the freedom that we have to gather as a community of faith across all of our campuses and online and pray that as we get into your word today that it would not return void. God, that you would meet us and minister to us exactly where we are as only you could. Would you speak through me, God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> As we get started today, I wanna give you a little bit of an update uh, on my dad. On December 22nd of last year, just days after celebrating his 40th uh, wedding anniversary with my mom, uh, dad went on to be with the Lord. Uh, he was at our house and passed away peacefully with all of our family uh, around him. I will remember 2017, man, is one of the, the saddest but sweetest years of my life. I don't think we had a, a need as a family that our church family in some way didn't step up to meet. You cared for us, allowing us to care for dad, and man, we will never, ever forget it. So many phone calls and text messages, emails, people coming by the house just to say they were praying for us and with us, and in every sense of the word, man, we felt carried through the year. So many meals and desserts and and snacks, and so the words thank you uh, just feel empty in, in trying to express just how much your love meant to us, but please know just how thankful we are. As a side note to everyone who brought us a meal of any kind, we have acquired a small department store worth of Pyrex, Tupperware, cooler bags, and a variety of other food storage devices. Uh, we have all shapes, ovals, square, rectangle, a variety of textures, both wavy, smooth, kind of textured on the bottom so they don't slide on the counter. Number of different tints, you can get them actually in light blue, dark blue, white, clear. Uh, we have the largest Tupperware bowl with snap lid known to man, literally. And what, what happened is when they were dropped off, you know, I was happy and hungry. And so I was not thinking about how we would return said storage devices. And so we've thought through a couple different options. We were gonna start an online store, a distribution center, sort of maybe a bundle sale online. <laughs> so what, what we're gonna do is this afternoon, we're gonna have an open house from four to, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> but here's the deal, if you brought us food, if you could text me, call, come by, anything, I would be glad to bring it, uh, bring it to your house, so we'll get those, get those back to you. I'm gonna get to talk some in uh, February just about grief and uh, all that I've, I've learned over the last year kind of leading up to this, but over the last week, I've just been thinking a lot about what am I gonna miss the most about Dad? And there's a long list there, but one of those things towards the top of the list is his regular call to say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Just about every week, 
he would hear one of the kids say something, do something. He'd see a picture that Katie posted on Instagram or Facebook or a message that I preached, something. He would always call to say, hey, man, I love you so much and I, and I saw this thing or I heard you did that and I just want you to know I'm so proud of the father, the husband, the man that you've become. My dad didn't hear those words from his dad, Papa, until the year Papa died just a few years ago. So when I was born, man, dad decided I would hear those words all the time. So much so when he would call to say I love you and I'm proud of you, there were many times where I would kinda hear those words like blah, 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 you know? <laughs> and I'm rushing out the door to get dressed, get the kids, drop them off. I'm like, I know, I know, dad, I love you too. That means a lot. Thanks, dad, you know. But man, now that he's gone, I will miss, I will miss those words. If I am anything, I know that I am loved by a dad who is so, so proud of me. How many of you would agree with me that the words spoken over you can have a tremendous impact on the life that you live and the person that you become? Maybe you've had someone similar speak those kinds of words over your life. Maybe it was a parent who, uh, man, much like my dad, was just so proud of you and was constantly speaking to and affirming the man, the woman that you are. I love you, I'm so proud of you. Maybe he was a coach and growing up, man, you, you hated him for seasons of your life because he seemed to be harder on you than anybody else, but it's because he was always reminding you of how gifted you were, how unique this skill, this talent was. Maybe it was a boss or a supervisor that in some way they were always speaking to and, and celebrating your specific contribution. Man, an encouraging word has a way of building us up, of encouraging us, helping us to see and think about ourselves a little bit differently. But in the same hand, man, a hateful or hurtful word has a way of knocking us down and keeping us there. Have you ever had one of those same people say something that was just hurtful and you just can't seem to shake it? A parent that would say, why can't you be more like your brother? A coach or a supervisor, you're always gonna be that way. You never get that right. Idiot, you know? It's like you just can't shake those words. You think about them, and if you're not careful, those words become phrases that you tell yourself about yourself and you can start to live out of them and see yourself that way. I'll never forget my junior year of high school. I played baseball and, uh, and, and left field. Our left field had a hill in the outfield. And I loved games because people didn't know how to handle the hill. They would either accommodate for it and then make adjustments in how they ran or they would be running to catch a ball, kick the base of the hill and just face plant, which would be awesome, you know? See somebody just blow it fall bad in the outfield. Well, I played left field, and there was one game in particular where this guy just hit a bomb, right? And I'm, I'm running after the ball, and I run up the hill, but once you were up on the hill, it made it kinda hard to gauge exactly where the ball was gonna fall. So I took a couple steps down, a couple steps back, ended up missing the ball, scooping it up and throwing it in. Well, when that inning was over, and I run into the dugout, all the fans, are there, the, the team is all there, and my coach steps out of the dugout, takes his hat off his head and says, Walters, you will never play for me again. Now, coach was a nice guy, okay? And, and, and I went on to play for him more that year. I made the team the next year, but something about him throwing down his hat and saying, Walters, you'll never play for me again. What I heard him say was, Walters, you don't add value. You're not even an athlete. 
What are you doing here? And man, over the next couple weeks, next couple months, I played baseball because all my best friends played baseball. We all played football, baseball, basketball. It was really just you know staying busy and active and enjoyed hanging out with my friends. But over the next couple weeks, I'd find myself in the dugout at the games thinking like, man, what am I doing? I signed up to play baseball. I feel like a cheerleader in a baseball uniform, right? Got other things that I could be doing. Man, without even realizing it, those words began to shape the way that I saw myself. Man, because of that, whether they're words that, that people have spoken over you, whether they're words that you have spoken over yourself, we have to be extra attentive about what's going on between our ears because it shapes the lives that we live and the people that we become. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Shift where we're looking at several small changes, subtle shifts that we can make in our life that would bring about a tremendous impact. And today we're gonna be talking about a shift in thinking. What are some, some changes that we can make in the way that we think, in the way that we think about ourselves, in the way that we see ourselves that maybe could have a, a tremendous impact in the lives that we live. And to do that, we're gonna look at some words that were spoken over Jesus by his father in Matthew chapter three. They're there on your outline. It says this, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now these were words spoken by a father to his son, spoken by God to his son Jesus. And if you'll believe it, if you'll receive it, I believe that they're words he's wanting to speak over your life today as well. Now you might be asking yourself, well how, how could that be? Well, the theological phrase that makes that possible is called substitutionary atonement. And what it means is that Jesus was our substitute. He paid the price for our sin in full. He took what I deserve so that I could take what he deserved. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says it this way, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, he was without sin, he didn't know sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin upon himself so that when God looks out at me, when he looks out at you, he would say, that is my son, that's my daughter. I love her and then I am, I am well pleased. Three small phrases made up of, of 16 words. They're simple, but they're not simplistic. It's the fight of my life for the most mature believer, man, the fight of our lives to actually live these truths out in our lives, three small truths that if we'll think differently, if we'll allow them to bring about a shift in our thinking would bring about a big year. The first of which is there on your outline. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. First John 1 12, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. First John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As we read through those passages, did anything stand out to you? 
As I read them this week, the phrase children of God just jumped out to me. As the one reading and I was looking for a child of God and 13 other times in the New Testament, 45 times in the Old Testament, we find that phrase children of God. Nowhere do we read child of God. Each time it's written to a community of faith. And what I love about that is that oftentimes when I hear I'm a child of God, I think, eh, no. That might be true of Pastor Greg, but not of me. You know, we, we seem to, to give that title to people that we deem worthy of it. But what the Bible says is that every man and woman, every boy and girl, whether you've walked with God for decades or if you make a decision to walk with him today, saint and, and sinner alike, when you enter into a relationship with God, make a profession of faith in him, you are a child of God. We are children of God. How does that land on you? For some of you guys, maybe as you, as you hear, like, I am a child of God, you're like, no, I'm a man of God. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> sure you are, you know. Have you ever had anybody call you something that, like, you just had a hard time, like, wearing? Like, the title, the name just didn't feel like you, so you had a hard time figuring out what it would look like for you to live into what that means. A couple years ago, we were having a conference here at the church, and somebody was doing a Starbucks run, and they had this long list of, of drinks, and so they, they go up to the counter and, you know, mocha, java, whippa, whatever, whatever, they're going down through the list, and they got to Pastor Josh's drink, and they couldn't, they couldn't remember exactly what it was or make out what it said, and so she was reading it to the barista, and she was like, oh, I can't read Pastor Josh's drink. And the barista over there knows all of us, and so she was like, well, which Pastor Josh is it? Is it the short one or the metrosexual cowboy? <laughs> like, what? It's like, God, I've never wanted to be the short one so bad in my life. Are you serious? <laughs> what about little bit taller one? Like, that would have worked as well, you know? Just because I do my hair and wear... Skinny jeans and boots, you better believe I shaved my hair and started wearing tennis shoes. <laughs> Lisa will be a metrosexual athlete. <laughs> but for all of us, when you've made, <laughs> we're not going to recover. I know, I know. All right. <laughs> when you've made a profession of faith in Jesus, when you enter into this community of faith, you are a child of God. Now, why does that matter? There on your outline. Remembering that I'm a child of God gives me confidence for today. Gives me confidence for today. Do you remember a moment in 2017 where you lacked confidence? You were uncertain about the outcome of a situation or circumstance you were walking into. Didn't know how the, the, the news was gonna come back from the doctor or where the money was gonna come from or what was gonna happen with the relationship or if your dream was ever gonna come to fruition. A moment where you lacked confidence. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says it this way, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He's given us his spirit. The Bible says in other places as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He's put his mark on our lives saying that we belong to him. A spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Not, not righteous king, holy one, almighty God, judge, all of those things he is. But that when we relate to him, when we cry out, 
to him. The language that we would use is of Abba, Father. Daddy, would you be with me? That he's adopted us, that we are part of his family, that we're no longer a slave, a slave to any of the things of this world, a slave to fear, slave to anxiety, no longer a slave to addiction or approval or materialism. I'm a, I'm a child of God. He goes on to say that I'm a heir with God, a co-heir with Christ, that I'm entitled to all the rights, all the privileges, all the property of heaven. That when I find myself in trouble, I can cry out to my dad, who will come to my rescue and save me. God, would your kingdom come, would your will be done in this situation, that I can speak healing over the sickness. Jesus said that we would do even greater things than these. How? Because we're heirs of heaven, children of God that we can come before him in confidence. God, I'm your kid. You know what, it doesn't matter how bad I wanna choke slam any one of my kids. You let them be in trouble and call out to dad. Daddy! Man, I will bust through the house, jump over anything to be there to rescue and save them. Why? Because they're my kids. And God sees you the same way. You're not gonna find yourself in trouble. You're not gonna make a mess big enough you're not gonna deserve the consequences any more or less for your daddy to hear you cry out to him, that he doesn't run to save you. Romans 8 uses much of the same language. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, we may also share in his glory. Man, so much of the same language. The spirit we've received doesn't make us slaves, but sons that we cry out, Abba, Father, that we're heirs with God through Christ. It's like, man, so many of those words I, I just don't even see myself living that way, but it's who the Bible says that I am. As a child of God, it's who the Bible says that you are, a small truth, a simple truth, that if we'll allow it to bring about a shift in our thinking, will give us confidence for today. There won't be a situation or circumstance that you walk into this year uncertain, feeling alone, afraid, frightened, because of who you are and whose you are. I am a child of God. The second truth there on your outline is that I am loved by God. I'm loved by God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 15 and 16, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You know, so often I will gloss over passages that should be transformative because they're familiar. And the best example I can think about of this in terms of how I respond is of my dad's phone calls. He called me so much to tell me I love you and I'm proud of you. Much in the same way for any of you that have grown up in church, been here a while, you've heard God loves me to the point that it can sound like blah, blah, blah. I know, I know. Let's get on with the message. Do you know today that God loves you? That he's crazy 
about you. Why does that matter? There on your outline, knowing that I am loved by God allows me to love others. We can't give people something that, that we do not have. Passage we just read says that God is love. Until we've encountered him, the author and creator of love, until we've received his perfect love for us, our best attempts at giving it to others will be incomplete. God is love. We can't give people something that we don't, not ha- that we don't have. And generally speaking, when we talk about love, there's two different kinds of people. There's people who live from love and people who live for love. When people live from love, they can walk into a room and freely love people because they don't need anything from them. They don't need their accomplishments to be awarded or rewarded. They don't need to be affirmed or celebrated. They don't need their their outfits to be mentioned or they don't need someone to say something about their new haircut or their eyelash extensions. Who gets eyelash extensions anyway? (laughs) They do, I'm just saying. They don't need people to laugh at all their jokes. They don't need people to like or love all their things on social media or comment on their posts. They're secure in the perfect love of God. They're free to love people from a place of love because they've encountered the God who is love. On the other hand, there's people who live for love and they walk into every room with a cup that's, that's empty. And they would never say these words, but they're scanning the crowd, evaluating relationships, determining who they're gonna spend time with and hang out with based on who's gonna laugh at my jokes, fill my cup a little bit. Who's gonna say something about the things that I have done, award or reward or celebrate my accomplishments and fill my cup just a little bit more. I wanna make sure they laugh and like and follow and comment on my stuff, always an attempt to get their cup filled. In fact, even in their attempts to love others, what they're really trying to experience is feeling good by doing good because they're living for love, seeking it out. Man, and even for those of us who are believers, who have entered into a relationship with God, man, my old ways are so familiar to me. If we're not careful here in this area, we can easily slip in areas of our lives and start living for love instead of from love, remembering that I am loved by God. He knew me in full when I entered into a relationship with him, past, present, and future. He knows all of my sin and stuff and struggles, yet he chooses to love me. Because of that, I can be secure and free in my love of others. First John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. First John 3, 16. Uh, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 1 John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. Third truth there on the bottom of your outline is that I am pleasing to God. Psalm 18, 19 says, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Uh, What I love about this psalm is that the psalmist was in trouble. And I'm sure you've been in that spot before. And more times than not, when I find myself in trouble, it's because of some decisions that I've made, some things that I've done. I was in a rush, I was in a hurry, I made a mistake, and now I've created a problem that's too big for me to fix. And that's where the writer was. This was actually King David. And for those of you who know a little bit about him, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart, a man of faith. But man, he was far from a perfect man. 
David had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba and ended up sending her husband to the front lines of the army so that he would be killed. Scripture talks about him as a relatively absent father, and he wasn't a perfect man by any means, but he was quick to repent of his sin and quick to put his faith and, and trust in God. He was a man after God's own heart. And what I love about this psalm is that he doesn't just say what God did. You know, he was in a place where it felt tight. The walls felt like they were crushing in on him. And he says, God brought me to a, a broad place where I had some room. Felt like I could breathe. He rescued me. But he doesn't just say what. He says how or why God did it. Because he delighted in me. Because he was pleased with me. Knowing all of his stuff David wasn't hung up on that. It didn't keep him from living the life that God had in mind for him because he knew that God delighted in him, that he was pleased with him. Zephaniah 3 says it this way, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's not far off, distant, some cosmic judge looking at you with a fur in his brow, disappointed and angry. He's in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, he will exalt over you with loud singing. Can you imagine like a, like a parent singing over his child with like just an angry face? Rock-a-bye, baby, <laughs> on a treetop, you know, like, go to sleep. It's like, no, <laughs> it'd be ridiculous, right? Well, it's with that same heart. God sings over you, he delights in you speaks over you with his love, hey, it's okay, it's okay. As I was preparing for the message this week, this reminded me of a guy named DJ Khaled. How many of you are familiar with him? Yeah, he's a hip hop artist and a producer. He, uh, kind of my life song is by him. Maybe you've heard it, All I Do Is Win. It's kind of like a, it helps if you sing it to yourself in the morning, I'm just saying. It'll bless you. Well, anybody that follows him on social media knows how he feels about his son, Assad. And over and over again, I'm telling you, every single week, all the time, he's constantly sharing, telling, talking about how he feels about his son. And this past week, his son was on a show called The Four, where these four stars kind of compete for stardom. And he, he used that moment when the nation was watching, everyone that was on TV, the crowd that was there, to, to share some words over his son that I wanted you to see. Check this out. Assad, you're a boss, you're a Don, you're an icon, you are a legend, you are the greatest that ever did it. I am your father, I thank God for you every single day. I appreciate you, and I'm so proud of you. Isn't that great? I had to look up what a Don was just to see if I wanted to be one. It's kind of an Italian boss, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, right? You're a boss. You're a Don. You're an icon. You're a legend. Ain't nobody ever did it how you do. I'm thinking like, yes, you know? <laughs> a couple things that I love about that video, the first of which is the context, okay? This is, it wasn't a baby show. There weren't other babies on the show. It wasn't a baby competition. There was no reason for him to be there. In fact, as DJ Khaled was saying those words over him, one of the other panelists kind of laughs like, <laughs> he's like, oh, this is awkward, you know? <laughs> it's not the context for that, you know? And that's the same way God sees and speaks over you and the world res responds the same way. God's context is love. You don't deserve it. 
You didn't earn it. Nothing about it is gonna make sense. If you're spending time trying to figure it out, you never will. But they are the words that he speaks over you. So I love the context, number one, because it's so weird. The second thing I love is just his age. Assad is one, okay? <laughs> and, and as he was looking at dad, sharing those words, I kind of got the feeling he was thinking like, Cheerio? <laughs> Daddy, you have a snack? A baba? Can I have a baba? You know, it's like, the baby. All he does, literally, so what he does is poo himself <laughs> and get food everywhere, you know? It's like occasional crawl, maybe a step. He hasn't done anything to deserve those kind of words but it's his father's heart for him, right? And I can tell you two things. One, as soon as he starts to talk, if you were to say like, Assad, how do you feel about yourself? What do you think he'd say? I'm a boss. <laughs> I'm a Don. I'm an icon. I'm a legend. Ain't nobody ever did it how I do. You'd be like, okay, okay, I get it, you know? <laughs> if you were to say, Assad, how does your dad feel about you? Man, he would be able to say the same thing because his earliest memories were of his father speaking those things over him. And that video is one of a hundred that you can check out on his Instagram feed. It's the words that he spoke over him in church. They are the words that God, your father, who knit you together, who numbered the hairs on your head. The Bible says in Jeremiah that, that he knew you before you were, you were made. You were consecrated before you were consummated. He set you apart had a purpose, a plan, a vision, a dream for your life. He speaks those words over you. But man, all too often, they, they don't resonate with the words that I speak over myself. They don't jive with the words that others have spoke over me. I am pleasing to God. Why does that matter? They're on your outline. Believing that I am pleasing to God helps me rise again. Helps me rise again. Church, over and over and over this year, you're gonna say things you wish you wouldn't have said. You're gonna have thoughts, do things, go places you wish you never would have gone. You're gonna fall time and time again. But because he is pleased with me, not because I have to earn his approval, not because I have to make a certain number of right decisions or come to church a certain number of times, I've never earned it, I don't deserve it, but because he loves me, because he's pleased with me, I will rise again. Now, some of you would hear that and think, well, I'm not, I'm not righteous. Again, that's that guy or that girl or those people. But the Bible only gives us one prerequisite for righteousness, one thing that you have to do. That next verse there on your outline. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The only thing you have to do to be found pleasing in the eyes of God is to be a man or woman of faith. To put your faith in his son, that he so loved you, that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, paying your price in full, taking on what you deserve so that you could take on all that he deserves. For God the Father to speak out over your life, that's my boy, that's my girl. I love them, in them I am well pleased. You know, if I were to ask you now to close your eyes and, and think about your life, think about yourself, your marriage, your accomplishments, just your person in general, what kind of words come to mind? Words that you'd never have to share with anybody, but just the, the truest thoughts that you have of yourself. Do you think words like loser, idiot, stupid, dummy, I don't add value, 
not even an athlete? What am I doing here? What words do you speak over yourself? Because man, chances are they don't sound anything like the words that your father is speaking over you. How might bringing about a shift in your thinking this year to where you decide, you know what, I'm gonna see everything through that lens. When I have feelings, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check them. It's one of the reasons the Bible says to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Man, because you got crazy thoughts. Tell you all kind of things. You gotta check them. That is not who I am. That's not who my God calls me to be. You know, as we close today, I've got two next steps for some of us and one for all of us. And the first one of which is, as we talked about being a child of God, some of you maybe would say that I'm not a child of God because you're not. Maybe you've never made a profession of faith to be a part of the family of God. I grew up in church, I knew all the stories, but it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I sensed God talking to me personally for the first time and that I made a decision, I took a step of faith. And for many of you today, whether here at Mount Pleasant, online, across all of our campuses, I heard a story last service of a guy who was at home watching online that drove in after church so that he could respond here. I don't know where you are, but maybe today is gonna be the day that you take a step. Say, man, I want to be a part of the family. I've tried to do this thing by myself, on my own for too long, and I'm making a decision to follow Christ, to give my life over to him. For some of you, that's gonna be your decision. For others, maybe your next step is gonna be much like the context of this passage. God spoke these words over Jesus at his baptism, that as he came out of the waters, it's almost as if I get this picture of God like pressing in over us, so excited for his son that he rips open heaven to say, that's my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And for many of you, Maybe you made a decision to follow Christ a long time ago, maybe you're doing it today, but that next step of baptism just isn't something that you've done. Scripture tells us that all we have to do to be saved is to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, but all throughout Scripture, we see when people were presented with the good news for the first time, they say, well, what do we do? And Peter's response in Acts to thousands was to repent and be baptized. If you've made a decision in your mind, if you've made a profession of faith, then do something to show it, to profess it. Baptism is an outward reflection of an inward connection that you've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in new life. It's not just something we do as a church, it's something we thought would be a good idea, it's something Jesus calls us to. In the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Share the good news with them, teach them how to walk with God, but baptize them so that they would remember, they would show that they've made a decision identifying themselves with Christ. So for many of you today, I'm praying that today's the day. Uh, at all of our campuses, it's baptism weekend. Each campus has shirts and towels and shorts, everything that you could need. But I pray that you'll take that decision seriously. If you sense God leading you, if you've never taken that next step, that you would do it. So those two steps for some of us and then one for all of us. You know, chances are, as we talked about words that you speak over your life, there are some words that were not life-giving that came to mind. And we can say, you know, well, those are just silly or that's, that's ridiculous or childish. I'm not gonna think about those, those things. But really, when we speak those kind of words over us, we are making agreements 
with the enemy, that I'm stupid, I'm, I'm an idiot, I'm a liar, I'm a loser, whatever those words for you might be. And today may be the day that you have the opportunity to flip the script. Say, so you know what, God, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna cancel those agreements. I'm not buying those lies anymore. And as we head into response time, maybe you write those words and pin them to the cross. Maybe you go to a member of our prayer team or elders at any of our, our campuses. And you say, you know what, I wanna see myself the way God sees me. I wanna speak of me the way that he speaks of me. That I'm a child of God, that I'm loved by God, that I am pleasing to him. Man, how might that shift in thinking change your home life? How might it transform your parenting or your, your marriage? How might it impact things at the office? A small shift in thinking that could change everything about the lives that we live. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this weekend, and I praise you, God, for this, uh, this passage, and pray for each of us. God, you know where we are in our journey with you, and uh, God, I just pray in some way that you might begin to reframe for us how we see ourselves, and really how we see you. God, as we imagine the countenance on your face, I pray that any furred brow, any anger, frustration, ways that we might imagine you looking down upon us, may we just sense your great pleasure, the smile on your face. May we receive the, the gift that we're entitled to because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that you might look at us and call us a child of God whom you love and are pleased with. God, as we respond today, may our hearts be open to anything and everything you'd wanna do in us. In Jesus' name, amen.